the latest edition of the People podcast. Um, I'm Rebecca Berry, one of the senior associates in the employment team, and I'm joined today by Tom Lingard, who is the head of our intellectual property team. Hi, Tom. Hello, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. We're going to be talking today about employee competition issues and how businesses can protect themselves against uh, the risk of employees um, using their confidential information and trade secrets in a competitive nature. Um, so to begin with, Tom, I thought it would be helpful for us to talk about how businesses can protect themselves from a contractual perspective. How, how would they start doing that? Sure. I mean, I think one of the things about confidential information is, is the phrase that's bandied around quite a lot and all businesses feel they have it. Um, but when it comes to putting your finger on exactly what it is, it's sometimes a bit more difficult. So one of the most important things, both from a, you know, for, from understanding what confidential information is and for putting yourself in the best position to look after it, is to think very carefully about you know, what information is there in your business? How do you categorize it in terms of its value and its level of secrecy? And then you can then apply the right kind of restrictions uh, to that and that would you know, typically be in a, a contract of employment um, or it could be in specific non-disclosure agreements or, or other contracts you know with with external third parties not just employees so trying to think carefully and doing a bit of an audit about where your you know where your confidential information is is a really good starting point to allow you to to put the right clauses in place and is there a risk of being too broad in what you consider to be confidential information or can you throw in the kitchen sink yes well ex exactly and you you absolutely can be too broad and, and the most common um mistake people make really is is by trying to is to make the definition very broad and trying to sort of act as if things that clearly aren't genuinely confidential are confidential because if you do that a, a clause which is wider than than it needs to be um is liable to be struck out should you try and enforce it through a court so um that's why it's good to to work out which categories of information are genuinely confidential, which ones are, for example, you know, general information about the business that you know, someone could find out if they looked at your website and make sure that you don't try and um, you know, cover all those. And, and the, the additional point to mention on that is not just the fact that you can protect yourself contractually. If you know where the really valuable information is, you can protect yourself through technology by, for example, making sure that the really valuable things aren't accessible to most employees that it's restricted it's locked down in some way and so again being seen to take those steps um, helps demonstrate that it's confidential but also also reduces significantly the risk of ever leaving the building effectively and i think that brings us on to the distinction between protecting confidential information during an individual's employment and also what they can take with them or what they are prevented from taking with them and using after their employment that's an important distinction isn't it yes exactly um and uh i don't propose to go into the history of the law of confidence you can listen to one of our boring ip podcasts if you <laughs> if you really want that um but in very broad terms there are sort of three categories of confidential information you've got sort of the trivia of the business as it's known which is is not confidential and can't be made so just by calling it confidential so that's the sort of thing that employees can't be made to keep secret you know even while they're employed and that might be you know where your office is you know, how often your uh, your office is cleaned all this sort of thing which is it, all this sort of information which is is sort of is trivial then you've got um mere 
confidential information so that's information which employees can be obliged to keep secret while they're working for you but can't be um, kept secret once they leave or if it can only for a brief time and that's sometimes called the sort of mental toolkit the, the general experience and understanding you glean about how a business goes about doing what it does um, while you're working there you can't sort of extract that from an employee's mind when they move on to their next employer so that sort of category category two and then in category three you've got genuine trade secrets and those are that's information which remains confidential you know both before and after the employee has been employed and can be kept confidential indefinitely and you know you're at one end of the spectrum as i said you've got mundane information about where your office is on the other end of the, the spectrum you've got the coca-cola recipe or you know some of these genuine trade secrets so categorizing your your um, confidential information into those three um, sort of categories is, is a good starting point. Absolutely. And I suppose confidential information is just one part of it, isn't it? Because then we come on to restrictive covenants and post-termination restrictions more generally. And the elements of a business such as customers and dealing with customers and acting in a competitive nature, these all fall part and parcel of what's commonly included in restrictive covenants post-termination restrictions within contracts of employment and it's a, a it's a settled position that those covenants need to be carefully drafted to make sure that they're no wider than necessary to protect against a legitimate business interest and I know that a number of our clients are extremely interested in particularly in having non-compete provisions and there's the balancing act isn't there between that and a restraint of trade which the courts often look, look into as to whether or not it's fair and reasonable to enable and allow an individual to take some of the skill sets and the um, competitive uh, activities onto their next um, opportunity immediately or whether it is reasonable um, in the circumstances to restrict that person's activities going forward. From your perspective Tom what's your view as to that balancing exercise what can clients do to make sure that any restrictions that they have are as enforceable as possible? Yeah, well, and again, to your point earlier, it's very um, common for the, the sort of kitchen sink to be um, thrown in with restrictive covenants as well. And that can make them just as difficult to enforce after the event as, as, a, as a confidential information clause that's, that's too wide. Um, as you say, it's really important to balance them to work out what is reasonable. Um, and very often that's a shorter period than, than clients might think. But if they're well drafted uh, and you know, particularly if you show that you are prepared to enforce them, then they can be a very, very effective way of, you know, giving your business the breathing room to mean that you can shore up customers or uh, suppliers and, and, and clients um, and, you know, make sure that the departing employee doesn't have instant and ready access to them. Um, it's something we often end up sort of talking through with clients at length. If you have an employee who leaves and, and goes to a competitor, you have sort of two strings of, of what you do your bow in terms of, you know, of what you can do. One is to say, well, we're going to hold them to their restrictive covenants um, if they're enforceable. And that's a very good way, as I say, to keep them out of the market, um, sort of irrespective of how they've done it. But very often, um, you know, it, there might be, some, well, very often there's some evidence that that employee may have taken some documents with them. and if those covenants have expired, even if the, the employee is, is arguably free to compete, um, they're not 
please compete using your confidential information. So in in circumstances where an employee has crossed the line and, and taken those that, those documents, it does give you a really powerful sort of potential extension to that. And it does, you know, normally if an employee has been rumbled taking information, they are, you know, the, they're in that they know they're in the wrong and it's possible to sort of um, have a bit more leverage than if than if you've just you're, you're trying to assert something that is too wide against someone who has got effectively clean hands and hasn't hasn't done anything um, that they shouldn't have done absolutely but I from a drafting perspective it's it's important just like the confidential information definition to be as nailed down as possible and to be as specific as possible isn't it and we also find that things like a non-compete provision is it, I mean it's not a hard and fast rule but if if someone is restricted for three months and their notice period is three months there's more of an argument to say that that's a reasonable period whereas you know if you're trying to restrict someone for say a year from competing it might be more um, difficult to persuade a judge that that's reasonable um, in our experience we we found sort of where it's the mind of the business so like the CEO or you know really um, at the front line of the business a longer period of restriction is is more enforceable but it I think the key um, is to make sure that it's tailored to the specific person so you, know, you can't just have an off-the-shelf restrictive covenant that one size fits all from the CEO down to the receptionist um, it needs to be really well thought through in order to be able to demonstrate that it's it's properly designed to protect against a, a legitimate and specific business interest yeah. in in that um, in that field we've also seen case law haven't we Tom about the um, implications of having too broad a uh, a restriction in having the inclusion of the words for example interest you know an individual can't be interested in a business going forward um, and that it's important to retain the ability for example of having a minimal shareholding otherwise it might be too broad a restriction going forward um, and I think that's just one of the examples of ensuring that um, you turn your mind to exactly what it is you're trying to protect against um, to ensure the enforceability as far as possible. Exactly I mean often when we're trying to enforce covenants you're you end up negotiating to a position that sort of protects um, the thing you are really interested in. And sometimes that can be a list of specific competitors, or sometimes it could be that the employee is, is performing a particular role and it's not unusual to compromise claims with an employee going to a new employer and perhaps doing something that is unrelated for either, you know, for a period of time or for you know, a bit longer than that. So, you know, the, the, it's, as you say, it's very important to work out both the, the duration and the breadth of the covenants to make sure they're enforceable. And, you know, particularly as you get towards those shorter covenants, three months in the context of court proceedings is not very long. So, um, again, there's a decision to be made if you get wind of a, an employee leaving. Um, if if you're going to, if you feel strongly enough about it that you would want the court to step in and enforce those covenants there's it's much better to act quickly rather than risk you know negotiating with them for six weeks and then suddenly you know by the time you get an injunction the, the covenant's going to be over anyway so yeah i match the covenant to the employee and and you know form a view as to whether you, you know whether you would or would not enforce it but through the courts if they threaten to breach it and if you find that an employee or you suspect that an employee may be acting otherwise than in accordance with their covenant, what would your immediate um, suggestion be about how 
companies react to that? Yeah, well, I think it do, it does depend on the employee, and and often uh, former employers are you know understandably upset and and they want to be seen to be doing something, and and that's absolutely right. But but um, there's a huge range depending on the potential damage to the business. You know, it may be frustrating that a junior salesperson has gone to a competitor, but you know if they're um, you've got relatively limited covenants and they're, they're, you know, they're quite easily replaced and you're not aware of any sort of specific, um, you know, dangers they pose to, um, to particular valuable clients, then you might, you know, you might let it go. You could more often, we would tend to, you know, write to the employee to remind them of their obligations and write to their potentially their new employer as well to make sure they're aware and that's the point at which you really need to make the decision as to whether you're going to push for injunctive relief, whether there is any serious damage that's liable to arise. And, and at that point, it's very much, you know, go in hard and, and try and negotiate to a, a suitable outcome or, you know, follow through because, you know, there's almost a marketing value as an employer in being, you know, being known as an employer who takes these things seriously. Whereas if you send a lot of initial letters and, you know, but all your employees know that really you don't follow through on those. It actually sort of serves to weaken the covenants that, that everyone else is subject to. So um, I think act quickly, make sure you don't um, make make any mistakes such as, you know, putting someone on garden leave, perhaps when you might better have them in the office or, you know, sometimes having putting someone on garden leave is the right thing. But there are definitely you have more control over an employee whilst they're still your employee rather than terminating early because then your your restrictive covenants are running and the clock is, is winding down so yeah that, that it, there's a whole range of approaches but I, I think it's definitely being clear strategically what what the outcome you want is and then trying to you know act as quickly as possible to to get to that and that brings us on to the economic thought doesn't it of inducing breach of contract if you're mm. a new employer who is inheriting an employee from who's bound by restrictions from their former employer um there's the potential that that you too might be um a target for a, a claim from from the former employer isn't there yeah exactly the, the theory being if you know if you are aware as a new employer of that employee's covenants and you induce them to breach them you're you're liable too and you know we would certainly assert that against employers and we would usually send the initial letter that we would send to an employee we'd, we'd send a copy to the new employer and you know and then highlight that to them um it's not just as well inducing breach of contract because particularly if you have a situation where an employee has got confidential information there can be direct liability for the new employer if it starts using that information and particularly as well in respect of data protection legislation if which is a quite classic example the employee takes a customer list and uploads that onto the uh, the new employer's system perhaps without even without their knowledge suddenly they are you know processing data that they shouldn't have um so those are all quite effective tools to to sort of get the attention of the new employer um and you know they often have they ultimately have the power to either you know, rescind that employee's job offer or to make sure they stay out of the office, you know, or, or at least put some kind of uh, mitigation around what that employee does if it starts working with them, um, which can also be a, a useful, a useful tool. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Tom. We've covered quite a lot of ground in a short amount of time and we could go into a lot more depth about these issues, but we only have limited time today. But thank you very much for your input. No problem. Nice to talk to you. 
great. Take care. Bye. Bye bye.